sunshine, rocking the good time with all our friends. Easy and carefree, out in the summer breeze, loving a simple thanks for hours on end. Right about sundown, we lay on the ground, count on the stars as they come out one at a time. Ain't this a sweet life? Hey everybody, I'm X Factor winner Tate Stevens, and welcome to the Sweet Life Podcast, where we talk about everything from music, sports, food, entertainment, and, well, just living the sweet life. Hey everybody, it's me, Tate Stevens, and as always, AJ Cronk. Yeah, buddy. So, man, we got a really good show this week. Um, could be a two-parter. Could be. I don't know. We'll see how long we go. Could be. <laughs> I, I get. I'm long-winded. We all know that. I can get long-winded. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. I'm a huge country music fan, obviously, but I'm a huge '90s country music fan. Yes. Just as you are. Um, we both really dig this. This guy's music that we're mm-hmm. going to have on tonight. We have Heath Wright from Ricochet. That's Hey, what do I know? And Daddy's Money. And Love is Stronger Than Pride. And Ease My Troubled Mind. And I mean, they have probably one of the Star best. Star Spangled Banner. Probably one of the best Star Spangled yeah. Banners on the planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, man, just great group uh, from the 90s, that mid to late 90s. Uh, yeah. Anyway, super, super good dude. I'm excited and I get to call him friend, which is cool. So everybody, he's right. Man, I'm super excited about this week's episode. AJ, we have, uh, a friend, uh, a guy who I, I truly, um, I don't want to say grew up listening to cause I was, I was out on the road, uh, playing music. I got to open for this guy and his band, uh, years ago, back in the nineties, like 95, 96, right when they came out, super great group of, uh, guys, uh, super talented, uh, great music, great songs, great singers, all of them. Uh, they were all super talented dudes, but, uh, I'm talking about Heath Wright from Ricochet is on the show, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty hey, excited. Yeah, brother, you were saying all those good things, and I was wondering <laughs> if I was the one to do You told me I was going to get to be the guest tonight. Yeah. I was wondering who you're talking about. Yeah, no, no. So so um, I had the pleasure uh, back in 90 – well, let's see. Uh, we'll, we'll just start here. We'll start here. 1990 okay. – when did – so when did Lariette become um, Ricochet? Ricochet? Yeah, so when did Lariette, that – Well, let's see. I, I moved to Nashville on May 18th, 1993 to join the group Lariat. Right. Okay. Now they had had uh, some management changes. I'm going to give you the, try to give you the Cliff Notes version right. of what happened. They had had some management changes and their old manager, who was a guy named Ed Burlingame, he had, a, his main business was to put on carnivals. So he would like call up a chamber of commerce and say, Hey, here's what I got. I can bring it to your town. It's turnkey. I've got all the rides, all the food vendors. I've even got the band for the beer tent. Wow. And Lariat was doing all of these basically little, you know, street carnivals type right. things. Right. Well, they wanted something more than just that in their careers. So they started shopping out for other managers. And then they let Ed know that, that they were going to make, make a management change. And uh, Ed decided, I, I guess the, the original brothers in the band weren't the greatest businessmen because Ed had taken the name Lariat 
and he had uh, registered it through the Library of Congress. So he now owned the rights to the name Lariat. So wow. when I joined Lariat <laughs> with all the a whole summer's worth of dates on the books, right. and I found out that they'd made a management change right before I joined the band. Well, it turns out Ed gives all these dates to a new band that he just put together and called them Lariat. No. So, so we no longer had a whole summer's worth of dates on the books. Oh. So the whole thing fell apart and it was the beginning of the summer. And some of the band members, you know, who thought they had work all summer long started frantically looking for work. We lost our, we lost our guitar player to uh, uh, Larry Stewart, who had just signed a solo deal. Right. Uh, we, we lost our bass player. I forget who he went with, but we, we lost a good part of the band. It was down to me and the two Bryant brothers, right. Jeff and Junior Bryant, right. and a temporary bass player that they had picked up there in Missouri. And that's pretty much it. We just started auditioning people. And we thought, you know, at the time I was kind of bummed about it because hell, I just moved from Oklahoma to Nashville thinking I had a, a, gig. I had a band that was working and thinking I had a good gig in, in place, but it, it was kind of a, you might say a blessing in disguise because I got to rebuild the band exactly how I wanted it. Right. So instead of hiring another guitar player, I hired a steel guitar player. Yeah. And we already had a great fiddle player. Junior Bryant was was the fiddle player. And so we all, and we, I found him a great keyboard player uh, in that, Eddie Kay, yeah. and I found him in a in a listing in a, a Nashville magazine called uh, the Nashville Scene. That's right. what it's called. Yeah, and so I found him. He'd listed a, a you know that he had just moved to town. He was looking a band, looking for a band to work with, and so eventually we put the band together. And I brought in a, a permanent bass player, a friend of mine from Vian, guy named Greg Cook. Yep, and we just started kind of shopping a deal. And uh, by 1995. We had a record deal, and later that year, we actually had our first single release. So right. It, it all kind of happened quick. I mean, I, they say Nashville is a five-year town, that you better be prepared to stay there five years before anything happens. I was I moved there May 18th, 1993, and by May, by the end of May 1995, we had a song on the radio. That's that's great. That, you know, like that doesn't happen uh, very it really often. Doesn't. No, it really doesn't happen right. very and often. And I think I was lucky in the sense that Nashville was looking for bands. I mean, Restless Heart had just kind of disbanded. As I said, Larry Stewart had started a solo career. Right. Uh, uh, Little Texas had decided to take some time off from the road. Right. The Gibson Miller band had disbanded. The uh, yeah. Sons of the Pirates, uh, Sons of the, no, what, what I'm, Pirates of the Mississippi. Yep. They had just broken up, but there was a couple of different bands that were on the radio at the time that had just went away. And so labels were looking for bands at the time. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just timing. It, you know, it was, it was God's timing and it all worked out. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause we were, uh, I was in the same boat. We were, we were in Nashville done and, uh, we're getting ready to sign to Warner brothers. Right. So, uh, we're home. We're from Kansas city. So we're home and we get this show and, and then we'll talk about, we'll talk about the bullet here in a minute too. So, right. uh, <laughs> so, um, we're home and we get a phone call from the guys at guitars and Cadillacs, um, Jay and, and the owners there. And they're like, Hey, we got a show coming in. It's Ricochet. Um, we need an opener. Do you guys want to open? And at first I thought, Ricochet, you know, because I was like, well, th yeah, that's the guys from the Bullet, man. They, they're playing at the Bullet all the time. Well, then, of course, we we all have that wonderful guy, Steve. Uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> so I'm like, shit, I, you know, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. You know, uh, for us, it would be a good show and, and, and everything. And I, I remember you guys walked out, and I thought, like most guys in bands and artists and stuff at that time when you're young and dumb and you don't know any better, when you get up there, you're like, oh, yeah, check me out, right? <laughs> watch, what I, watch what I do. And uh, uh, I'm out there just doing my thing and, and thinking I'm just swinging 
you know, I'm hitting home runs. You know, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, you were. We get down, we get done, and and you guys come out, and I thought, all right, man, you know. And then I just, I just sat in the back. Holy shit, I'm just taking, a, <laughs> I'm taking a beating right now, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. you guys, no, serious, it was, it was so good. Um, it it was like you guys started at a level, and then halfway through the show. It just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then even on the slow songs, I mean, even on Love is Stronger, the I mean, it just it didn't matter. You guys just had this thing and and Eddie played saxophone and some guitar thing. And you know, you know, the talent that was on the stage that night was so good. Of course you do, what do I know? And you're because that was your single, you know, you come out with that. And and then I'm like, damn, man! Listen to the harm. The harmonies were killer. It was, you know, the the musicianship was killer. I'm like, Shh, you know, oh, that's when that's when you time, think, Dave. no, 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 you're seriously, so no, seriously, this is real. There's real talk. And, and you look at that and you hear that and you're like, and I'm thinking to myself, I just went out and I was swinging for the fence, right? I'm I'm out there trying to knock people out. I'm out trying to kick them right in the face because that's what I. You know, has no opening act. That's what you want to do. You want to get them up. You want to get them going when the because when the headliner comes out, they don't want to have to work. They want to come out and go. Bam, we got it. They're right here yeah. already in our in the palm of our hand. We're going. So that was my job. But I thought, damn, I didn't do anything. I'm thinking oh, to myself, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I just took an ass whooping and I got. I'm, I'm gonna tuck my tail and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go on with my day. I mean, anyway, they were, you guys were great guys, um, well, and it was fun. It was it was one of those times, and back then, music was so good anyway, and, and it was like that period of country music was like, I mean, it was it was great. So, <clears throat> um, in, in that in that t- in that first two years of you guys going with, what do I know? Daddy's money. What was going on? Um, was everybody on board with with the train that was moving? Because you guys were moving quickly. I mean, that was in a year's time of signing a deal. You guys have two top ten hits. Yeah, you know. And yeah, to be honest, I believe I think that was the the only time in our career that yes, everyone was on board at the time. Everybody at the label had a common goal, and that was to you know promote our career as as hard and as fast as they could and man it it was a whirlwind i mean it seems like we waited forever just to get a single out uh even though technically it really wasn't that long but (laughs) man once the single dropped um and we we released what do i know first i don't know if i ever told you the story tate but what do i know was written by sonny russ kathy majeski and uh stephanie smith three great uh, young ladies that all wrote for different publishing companies. Uh-huh. I wrote with Stephanie over at EMI publishing and I don't know where Kathy and Sonny wrote, but they wrote for two other publishing companies. And so when you have multiple publishers involved in a song, sometimes they'll pit, they'll, you know, they'll start pitching and you don't really know who's put the song on hold first. Right. So Linda Davis had the song on hold at it's pretty much exactly the same time we did. Oh, wow. So we both went in the studio and cut it. Now we knew that Daddy's Money was was an undeniable hit, and we really wanted to, re- to release that first because we figured that would be a number one, a debut number one single. Right. But we knew that if we did, that Linda would get what do I know out there, and we would lose it as a single. Right. So we went with a ballad as our first 
first uh, single out of the box and it did okay i mean it, I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna complain it went to number three on one chart and number five on another yeah that's great it, that's great it is great and it sort of you know, it was on the chart long enough to have the same sort of impact as a number one would have had right but you know we then we released daddy's money after that and it shot to number one and stayed there for two weeks straight and that was during a time when that that sort of thing was unheard of you didn't have multiple week number ones back then so uh you know, we we were just really lucky to have a, a team of people at Columbia Records at the time that were all working hard towards the same focus. It wasn't that way by the time we got to the second album, right? And by the time we got to the third album, it's certainly they'd forgotten about us. I mean, and I could tell you stories that, that would make your head spin. You know, make you want to throw up about man. some of the people that were supposed to be working on our behalf that simply didn't you, during the third album. Yeah, and and that's and so you you released what three off the first. Three three singles off the first album, right? And four actually, four oh, singles. Four. Off. So we had uh, "What Do I Know," "Daddy's Money," "Love Is Stronger Than Pride," and the right. fourth single was our first one that didn't really break the top ten. It was a song called "Ease My Trouble Mind." Love it, right? Great song. My one of my my son's uh, favorite songs. Uh, we still open our show with that song. Yeah, great, great song. So, so you go four deep on the first one, which four is tough. Which was yes. tough, man. That I mean, you got to think. Uh, and and now, did you guys write any of those songs? No, and that was another thing that kind of was a little bit. Now, on the first album, you just kind of nod and smile, <laughs> and you do you say yes, sir, no, sir, and you do whatever the hell they tell you. you Absolutely, need to do. because these are the professionals. These are the ones that you you put your faith in to uh, to to guide your career. I always yeah. heard people say, you know, you, if you're flying from Los Angeles to Honolulu. Right. Well, the plane doesn't really have to be pointed towards Honolulu when it's on the ground. You got to get it up off the ground first, and then you can change the direction of the plane once it's off the ground. Sure. That was my mindset back then. Instead of making a big stink about the fact that we didn't get to play on the first album. No, well, I played. I played the solo on what on uh, on Ease My Trouble Mind. I was the only one in the band that got to play on the first album. And that and that nobody else crazy. played a note on that album. That's crazy. Yeah, and and we had I thought we had some pretty decent musicians in the band. I had some I had some instructional videos on the market at the time, but I didn't get to play but one freaking solo on the whole first album. And and people, you know? so here and here okay, here we we'll talk about that. Now, I know there's a there's a <clears throat> there there's musicians out there, the the Brent Masons and and the mm-hmm. the Lonnie Smiths. And I get it, I get and, it that I'm not in that that league. No, I no, get that. No, no, no. But here's the yeah. thing: they have to have a job too, right? So I well, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that you have all these great this pool of great musicians, and at every mm-hmm. you can. Hey, I need a harmonica player. Well, here you go. Here's this guy. Harry McMillan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, McMillan's coming. Yeah. You know, whatever. I, I need this guy. Here's this guy. You know what I mean? So there's a pool of great musicians, and that's all they do. That's true. You know what I mean? They they listen, they look at a chart and they might listen to a demo and they go, Yeah. Okay, you you're gonna go for okay. All right, ready? Click, click, and then and then you they they play the song and they're like, uh, anybody have anything? And they look Yeah. Nope, we're good. Yeah, they always ask, Did anybody have any uh <laughs> we got any confessions? Anybody making mistakes we need to go fix? Yeah. And you know, there might be one or two people that say, I can I have it from the second verse out? Yeah. Can I have it from you know the last course out? Absolutely. That's that sort of thing. And those guys are extremely, extremely good at what they do. They're and their gear is 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 top notch and their tone, they know how to dial in a tone. Sometimes it might take some of us road guys a little longer to do that. Right. But we'll get there. But we'll no, get there eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so but but it's kind of odd that being a band 
Exactly. That you guys didn't get to. Yeah. So we didn't on my, on because, yeah, I, we kind of did the same thing. A couple guys in the band when we recorded our first, uh, our first album uh, in, in 95 um, in Nashville, we only got to play, a few guys got to play a few things. Our piano player played yeah. a few things. Guitar player played a few things. Um, and it was for a feel. It wasn't for because yeah. of anything else. It was just how the song felt. We wrote some of the songs and, you know, whatever. Um, but other than that, yeah, we just sang. And and uh, it was it was a little awkward, you know, uh, not knowing these guys. And I'm in there singing. Funny story, everybody does scratch vocals, right, when you're doing records. You know, you just get in there yeah. and you don't – they don't even care. They're just like, just hum, do talk it. Whatever. We don't care. We just, just so need – we know where we are, yeah. We know we, we just need that thing. Well, I didn't know. You know, I'm thinking, all right, here we go. And I got, I'm looking out and I'm looking at Biff Watson and I'm looking at some of these dudes that have played on everyone's records. And I'm like, oh, yeah. here we go. Okay, don't screw up. <laughs> you know, and, I, and <laughs> yeah. I'm in there and, and I am, <laughs> not gonna use it. yeah, absolutely. Most of them don't even have it in their ear, you know, their headphones. So yeah. I'm in there just wailing away, thinking, oh, yeah. I did the same thing, brother. You, and, I did and, the same thing. And I'm just like going, getting it and everything. And, and uh, the producer, uh, <laughs> he comes in, he was like, ah, why don't you go take a break? I'll, I'll go ahead and cut these scratch vocals <laughs> for you. And I'm like, really? Was it that bad? And he was like, <laughs> no, why are you singing so hard? They don't care. They don't, you're, you're wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels, kid. You know, and I'm like, well, like, to me, I don't know. That sounds like a, a bad producer, to be honest. I mean, yeah. because Joe Diffie, when Joe Diffie would go in and sing a scratch vocal, right? Much of the time, they would end up using the scratch vocal or at least parts of it, right? As part of the, because they would, they would save everything, Joe, everything that came out of Joe's mouth. Absolutely. They would save it. They would record it. They would make it red. Right. And so I don't, that to me, that sounds like a bad, because if you're giving it all you got, then you, why not make it red? Why yeah. not record that and see if it can be used later? You I, know? I don't know That's that. Producer, I, think. I, I think it was because they weren't, I wasn't patched into like a thing. It was probably, uh, it probably sounded terrible. It was just probably something that, so they could hear audible an audible uh, voice. You know what I mean? So that, yeah, they weren't you know, right. that's that's still that's still bad planning in my right. in my opinion. Right. I I'm just I mean this it's your podcast but I'm going to be honest. It, oh hell, I don't in care. In my opinion, that's I don't talk, just bad producing. I don't talk to that guy anymore. When something great is going to happen. <laughs> it could happen during the scratch vocal. It could have. You know? It could have. But you know, he had his thing and and I'm not I'm not bagging on I haven't talked to the guy in 20 years so I don't I don't it doesn't matter to me. Uh but um you yeah, know, it, it's um, it, it's odd because being a band, I even me, I would have thought you guys played all the stuff on the first record. Well, and I really wanted to, honestly. And I always back when I was a kid, and I first I found out that Alabama didn't play on their own stuff on the first several albums. Yeah. And I and you know I I was like, oh my god, are you kidding me? They're a band. They're right. a band. And I always said, I'm never going to let that happen to me. But if I have a band and we get a record deal, I'm never going to let that happen to me. But like I said. You got to get the airplane off the ground yeah, first. That's right. Then you can change the direction. That's you know? right. So you had four. You guys come out four singles deep on the the debut titled Ricochet album, right? Mm -hmm. Then yes, you that's correct. Yes. Then you go what ninety seven for Blink of an Eye ninety somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, so, I don't remember the exact dates, but that sounds about right. Yeah. So Blink of an Eye comes out. Now you guys are a, a, a legitimate. You're a bona fide hit machine. You guys got hit records. Take us into that second year of okay. Here's our our, our sophomore album, which everybody says is the that's the hardest one. It is the sophomore album. Here's hardest. why I think, and I know you know this, but when you're having hit records, 
and you're spending all that time out on the road trying to be you on know, trying to capitalize on those on those hits that you're having as much as you can on the road mm-hmm. you forget about one thing you forget about the fact that you're gonna have to follow that up you're yeah. gonna have to follow that up so you, and and you're out on the road how the hell are you gonna spend time writing yep recording uh, uh, demoing the stuff you write i had a publishing deal at the time too so i needed to turn in 10 copyrights a year now most people say oh 10 songs a year that's nothing well that's hard if you and i write a song that's only half a copyright for me yeah yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so, and sometimes I do try rides where would there be three writers? So that's only a third of a copyright for me. I turn in like 70 songs that year yep. and I had to take writers out on the road. And that's always difficult to write on the road when you know that you've got in two hours, you got to go do a sound check and then, then you got to do the show and then, and then, you know, got yep. autographs after that. And then you get, you you get on the bus and you might, and you, you're probably not going to get any writing done after right. the show because you know that's that's party time. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and, so and you're da- and you're only down not only to fulfill my 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 writer's obligations with my publishing company, mm-hmm. but even the time that we had in town, which was limited. You know, I we would do song listening sessions. We'd gather up in a room with our producers and our A and R guy at the label, and we'd go through twenty or thirty songs a day, yep. and try to figure out what's the next song going to, you know, what, what's the next group of songs going to be, and it, it's just such a whirlwind, and every single minute of your day is taken up. So, so, and honestly, I think the reason the sophomore project is all, never as good as as the first one is for two, just twofold. One, there's too much money to be spent, right? So they 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 gave us a much bigger budget, so they felt like you know, they needed to overproduce on that. So if you listen to the two albums, the two Ricochet albums back to back, the debut album and then the Blink of an Eye album, you'll hear a whole different type of production in the second album. It's way slicker. Yeah. It's oh, not yeah. as raw. Right. You know, it doesn't sound as much like live recordings. Right. And it, it just doesn't have that energy that the first one did. Well, we were on a budget on that first one. So right. we were taking a lot of first and second takes, you know? Yeah. Second yeah. album, they had time to go in there and redo things and line things up and make them quantized perfectly and tune this little part right here and tune that part. And it's like, man, don't tune it. It's we're humans. We yeah. make little mistakes here and there, you know, don't yeah. tune it up. So yeah. now on that, no, uh, yeah, on the second. So again, you hit, you kind of, you kind of nailed it. I think, um, Sophomore projects, not that they're not good or they, you know, they could be just as strong as that first one. True. But if you have those hit records on that first one, you're chasing, you're cha- uh-huh. you're chasing those hits. You're chasing. We got to get a daddy's money. Where's our next daddy's money? Where's our next? What do I know? Where's our next? Sure. He's my trouble mind. Where's where is that? So now in that, did you did your A and R guy? Did he understand Ricochet? Did he well, understand he where our you were? Our guy was Blake Chancy, and that was his <laughs> dad was Ron Chancy, who you know Blake. I know you know Blake. He yeah. produced some of your stuff. Yeah, and been on the his show. dad was Ron Chancy, who was our producer at the time. Yeah, so he absolutely. he of all people should have understood. It. He's actually one of the reasons we got signed in the first place. Right? Who knows how it all worked out and why the second album was so incredibly different from the first. Now that's not to say that there wasn't good stuff on the second album. I, yeah. I, I believe there was some great songs on the second album. I believe we chose the wrong singles right. on the second album. Uh, our first single was a song called uh, He Left a Lot to Be Desired, and I, that was a great tune. Great tune. I believe, you know, and it, it, that one actually shut up. It almost made it to top 10. It went to number 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of started going downhill from there. Uh, Blink of an Eye, I think, was next. 
that one was a little overproduced, sounded kind of mechanical. Even the video was was a little weird in, in my in my opinion. Right. Not, not that I didn't like the song, and we still do it in our show every night. It was fun fun song, and there was some fun guitar licks on it. But I I just don't I don't know that it sounded like Ricochet to be honest. Right. It, it, it certainly wasn't the next Daddy's Money. Right. And then after that, there was a a four minute ballad that I think they released during the summer months. I'm not sure, but you don't take a four minute ballad and put it out in summer. No. There's a great song written by Skip Ewing called the, um, uh, connected at the heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that's as far as they went on that, on that, on that second album, just three singles deep on that one. Then, then we figured it was time to start cutting another album and try to try to get something else out. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know, you know, that's, that's, that's just uh, who knows how it all came came about. And I wasn't I wasn't in those meetings of when they were choosing singles. Right. Nobody asked me what I thought the next single should be. Honestly, I thought we left some of the best songs on that album. So, so the public that doesn't own that album hasn't heard some of our best material. For example, a song. The only song that was uh, co-written by a band member. It was a song called The Girl Formerly Known as Mine. Oh, she's the girl formerly. That's What a great song, man. What a great Greg, song. Greg Cook, our, our bassist, co-wrote that with Steve Bogard and Jeff Stevens. Who, and those guys are well-known for their George Strait hits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, carrying Your Love With Me. Yeah. Uh, I Get Carried Away. Both George Strait hits, both of them co-written by Steve Bogart and Jeff Stevens. Yeah. And Greg wrote a tune with those guys, that, that one back there, and we... We picked that song not even knowing Greg had written it because it, we st- it stood alone just on how good it was. And honestly, yeah. if I can brag on my, myself a little bit, I think I turned in one of the best vocal performances I've ever recorded on that song right there. And uh, it should have been a single, honestly. I'll, I'll, so, you know, I'm a fan. I've, I've told you this before. I'm a, I'm a fan of Ricochet's music. And, and um it's kind of it's kind of fun, you know. This year, and we'll talk about this year. Uh, getting to do some shows with you guys this year, but I I knew all of your material from your first two records. I knew them all. I knew every song, and um, just because I was I, I was I was a fan, and I'm like I was the guy that bought the stuff, and I would read the liner notes, you know. Oh, me too. Uh, you know, because yeah, I, I think we all do that. Yeah, and, all of us singers do that. And and it's like cool, you know. So and so, you know, they were, you know, Ron Chancey produced, and it's like that. That's cool, you know. Could to know. I now back then I didn't know Ron. I didn't know Blake. I didn't know those guys. So I I would I would go and 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 read those liner notes, see who played on the records, and and um. It, because I thought that kind of got me closer to that artist or that band or group or whatever it was that I was listening to. Um, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I used to love reading the, the notes. So it was like, you know, we, we want to thank Uncle John for letting us sleep on the couch and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Because it's yeah. that's the stuff that's real, you know. Exactly. All the other all the other bullshit is that's what it is, you know, <laughs> yeah, at, at, the, right. at the end yeah. of the day. So now we're getting into the radio time of singles not going so quickly. You know, mm-hmm. now it's taking a little lot. Now, now you really got to work a single. Now you got to go. You have to go see these people for six weeks, and then go back after the singles released for maybe another six or eight weeks, just to, right. to beg them to play your music. Oh, uh, uh, didn't you hate that part? It did, didn't you hate that part? I still. I, you, I always felt like the music should stand alone. If the, if the song was good enough, it should get airplay. It shouldn't require a bunch of ass kissing, a bunch of begging, yeah. a bunch of phone calls to every Monday. It shouldn't yeah. require all that. I let the music speak for itself. You know what I mean? Hundred percent agree. Um, to release country music, and I, I just I, I, only speaking from what I know from the country world, 
Um, and Heath can Heath can uh, input also with this because he knows more about it than I do. But after you've recorded, after you've written the song, picked a song, heard a million songs to sing, or whatever it is you're going to do, go in and record it. The label says, okay, we're going to go with this one. So then you go out for anywhere between six to eight weeks to do a radio tour. You do the morning show. You do an afternoon drive. You do an evening the, the late shift drive. And usually then, at three different stations. And, yeah, usually, and, usually uh, yeah, yeah. You're traveling. You're doing three different places that and, day. And and uh, or you do a dinner with this station, and you take the PD and the and his family yeah. and his friends out to a big dinner, and you know, yeah. and, and you're paying. All of it is on your dime, by the way. Absolutely. All of that money you're spending on that comes out of your record recoup. It comes out of Absol- you get to recoup all that money. A- absolutely. You know? The the label recoups their money first and then you exactly. get to the label it. gets to recoup their money from that promotion tour. Exactly. Yeah. So so but people don't understand that. And they don't understand how and and so they think, okay, Ricochet releases a single. Mm-hmm. It just goes to the radio station, right? You just isn't that how it works? You don't you just call your station, go, hey, I released single today. Go because can you start playing it for me? That's what but well, people don't know. They don't know that it'd be nice. If it worked that way, or, or if somebody if, just listened to a song and said, "Yeah, that's a great song. I'm putting that on the air right now." Let's play you it. Know? Let's spin Let it and it see down. what happens. Yeah, it no, don't work that way. No, not There's at all. A bunch of promotion and a yeah. whole bunch of horse shit that goes along with it. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm a guy so just talking about it. It's my blood to boil again. How, when I think about how much money that the label spent that we had to recoup, you know what, Tate? I'm going to tell you something on your podcast. I'm going to tell your listeners something. I have never seen a royalty check in my life not one penny of royalty have i ever made and you know why partly because we only sold half a million copies on the first album uh-huh. and not even close to that on the second album and then the third album they forgot that we even existed right but you would think half a million units that's a pretty good number i mean ten dollars a unit you would think that you would have recouped the money that they but no they spend so much money in the promotion the production and the, uh, you know, just the advertising and all of that is recuperable. All of those expenses yeah. are recuperable on your royalties. Absolutely. Your royalties is what's paying for that stuff. You know, when I, when I, I got signed to RCA right after the X Factor, I won the X Factor. I signed to RCA, uh, which is the biggest imprint on Sony. Uh, they gave me all this stuff, you know, my Sony swag, right? They gave me my Sony jacket and everything. And I'm like, how much does this cost? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I felt bad. I felt bad because... Uh, Jim Catino, which was my A&R guy at Sony, um, <laughs> he's the one that handed it to me. He's like, here, Tate, man, have this, this is a, one of our new Sony jackets. You need to, you know, got to have one of these and this and that. And I'm like, how much is this? And he was like, yeah. what do you, I don't know why. And I was like, because I, I can I just pay you for it now? <laughs> Dude, and, and, I still have my Sony jacket. Yeah, yeah. I had so, it clean the other day because my son saw it and he said, hey, that's a cool jacket. I said, you want it? I said, I, 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 I said it only cost me about a million dollars yeah i'll give it to you yeah so so you know and and he got he's like stop stop just stop and i'm like i'm like but i i know it's coming out i mean you don't you're not giving me promo stuff comes out you're not giving me any anyway but so yeah for people to to, for people to understand that it it's it's a lot of money it's a million dollars or more or more minimum of a million dollars and 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 the time that you're paying for now, even no, and and here's a lot of people like, well, when you go into the radio station, you just go in and talk to the program director. Oh yeah, you do that, 
And mm-hmm. sometimes they'll have some fans in. Sometimes they'll have some listeners in, and you go yep. play a little acoustic thing for them. Or mm-hmm. if you if you're not that fortunate, like I wasn't that fortunate on the short little list of ones that I got to do, um, you just play for the program director in their office, and they're sitting there looking at you like they could they they don't even want to be there. They don't care what yeah. you're saying, singing, or anything. And when you're done, they're like, "Okay, thanks, guys. All right, I gotta go. I gotta go." You know what I mean? And it's like. Thanks for your time. And most of them, and and, and you got to go in and act like you're their best friend and act Mm -hmm. like that. If you, if they, if they play your thing, if they play your music, you are going to do everything for them. They're the only ones that matter. Blah, blah, blah. Unlimited concert tickets, backstage passes. (laughs) Yeah. Bus, bus passes, whatever they want, whatever they want, they get. And you wouldn't piss on these people if they were on fire. Most of Mm -hmm. them, because they're (laughs) terrible people. Yeah. Now there's a handful well, of great ones. There's a handful of great ones. You know. This is true. No, I mean it's true. I'm not. I'm not well, lying. I, I remember we did this thing right before showtime. Every show we would have radio guests on on our bus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we like to do, if we had anybody from the radio station, of course, the pro- program director and the music director never showed up. Nope. They never showed up. But they'd send out the, you know the the girl that sets his front desk <laughs> and you know the you know the janitor. Absolutely. And send anybody else out from from the radio station just to come out and and, and get free passes and bus passes and stuff. Yeah. So we we would treat them like royalty. We would have them on the bus. Most of them didn't realize that when you're being played a, a brand new song that hasn't been shipped to radio yet. We, we, we would always give them the VIP treatment. We'd say, oh, hey, we got a new song we want to play for you. And we'd turn our stereo up nice and loud. We had a great little surround sound stereo on that on that old bus. Yeah. And we'd turn it up and we'd play it for them. It inevitably, inevitably, there would be one person that would talk throughout the whole damn thing. Yep. We'd talk to his buddy. Hey, what are you going hey, to what, what time do you get? What are you going to do tomorrow? That kind of stuff. I mean, it's like, yeah. and when the song was over, I would focus on that guy. I'd say, hey, what'd you think about that song? He said, oh. I loved it. I said, how the hell did you know you talked during the whole damn thing? So, well, we stopped doing that after a while. Yeah. Cause I started pissing off too many people. You well, but, but you know what? No, that that's, that's the truth. Uh, they, because they do send, they don't send out the music director or the program director every, every great yeah. once in a while you get the bill blacks and you get those kind of guys that are great. Sammy Cruz, you get those guys that are good. They love music. The Mike Kennedy's Mike Kennedy here in Kansas city, Mike, yeah. Was that guy? He was a. Good, I remember Mike. Yeah. I remember him very well. Mike would love tr- music. Yeah, no, he did. He he broke more new artists in Kansas City. He broke new artists because yeah. he it meant something to him. Like when he brought an artist into town, he mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that they did well here. So when they came back, they could sell tickets and not just yeah. be a soft ticket guy. You could sell some seats when you yeah. came back. He we, was need, a, we need more Mike Kennedys in, in the radio industry. Yeah, they're all they're all retired. Yeah. They're all retired. Yeah, you're right. So, and, that, and that mindset doesn't exist anymore. No, because it's I, money. I, it's yeah. just money. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's money for them. And the radio, yeah. and and now that XM radio's killing, now the radio stations are like, mm, what do we have to do now? How can we yeah. be relevant at this point? You mm-hmm. know, people shouldn't have to go see a radio station. You should True. have a program. You should have your program directors and music directors now at radio should. At, at terrestrial radio, you yes. should be able to send a label should be able to send a single from an artist and say, here's my, here's so-and-so said artist. Here's their new single. Tell us what you think. 
if you have to do the what they call research on their single now, um, which means they spin it and they send it out to like 20 listeners and let mm-hmm. them listen and they get their little feedback from their little things. Then that tells them, okay, I, these 50 people like it. So let's yeah. let's spin it one time in the morning and see what happens. Spin it one time in the afternoon, see what happens. You're not getting any traction at all yet. I mean, for them to spin a couple, you know, for you to get a couple spins a day, that's nothing. It's not report. It's there's no reporting on it or anything. You have mm-hmm. to be in a rotation. So, that's true. so for them to do that, that would help artists. Every artist. I think you're right. Yeah. You know, for them to go, that's a good song. Let's try. Why not? Exactly. What's what's it what's it going to hurt? Besides, make it about the music one, once in a while. It's just know? not. It's just not anymore. I still listen to country radio, like in my truck sometimes, and you got to listen for a while before you hear anything. That there are still some songs out there. There's some songs. artists out there that are recording great music. Yep. But you got to listen for a while before you'll hear it. Yeah, and absolutely. It I don't think it was like that in the nineties. Now I hate to be one of those guys, no. you know, like the old rodeo guys that I hang out with, like back when they used to buck, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but you know, I, 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 I hate to be that guy, but yeah, I, you have to listen for a while to find that nugget, that one little nugget of good stuff, you know, I, it's kind of funny. Cause I, I, I think I'm turning into my dad. Uh, because, you know, because my dad, my dad would hear, you know, Garth Brooks songs, you know, and he's like, what the hell is that? Yeah, that's not George Jones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we're, we're, exactly. You know, that's not Haggard. That's not Lefty. You know, so and and now when I listen to country radio, I sometimes I just I'm like I'll just look at my wife over in the car and I'm like, what What is that? Oh, brother, let me let me paint What's a that? scenario for you for a second. I want you to imagine thirty years from now. So, like a twenty year old now is going to be 50, 30 years from now, right? Yeah, he's going to say these words to to some eighty year old guy like me, eighty five. I'm fifty five years old, so thirty years from now I'll be eighty five. He's going to say these words. He's going to talk about these bands and these artists that are on radio today the way I refer to Merle Haggard. He's going to say, you know, they just don't make good country music like Florida Georgia Line anymore. They don't make good country music like Sam Hunt. Man, if I'd, I'd give anything to hear a good Luke Bryant song right now. You I, know what I mean? I, okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there. I'm gonna stop you right there. I'm gonna, and I'm and this 85 year old man is gonna punch that 50 year old kid in the throat. That's what's gonna happen. Here's the deal. I don't think you will ever. I don't think we're ever gonna have somebody say. Man, you know, they just don't make them like four to Oh, four please, man. Like, I I think, think so. about it for a second. I don't think, think about so. it for a second because Garth Brooks wasn't your dad's cup of tea. You know what? Yeah, I, I heard Vince Gill I heard Vince Gill say this one time. Vince Gill said, you know what? I'm probably not Merle Haggard's cup of tea, but Merle Haggard probably wasn't Roy Acuff's cup of tea. And Roy Acuff probably wasn't Jimmy Rogers' cup of tea. Sure. So think about that. Sure. No, it, 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 and I, and I, and not saying that we can't evolve musically. Yeah. I'm just saying there was a period of time from that 80s, I'll throw the 70s in there because there were so many great oh, 70s yeah. country yeah. songs, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. That period of, of country music. Sure, you had the pop artists in there too, doing their thing, and it was working, you know, at, at that time. Um, yeah, you had Ronnie Millsap, you had T.G. Shepard. Yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, think about it. That was, those guys weren't considered traditional country. Even even Shed Atkins at, during his his recording days, 
people hated the fact that he was putting strings on country records. You right. know, they was like, what, what are we, Frank Sinatra all of a sudden? You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I remember uh, listening to, to, um, uh, what his name just, his name just went, um, Ray Price. I remember listening yeah. to Ray Price say when, when it was, uh, right when the Cherokee Cowboys, yep. oh, I can't remember what album came out. And then he did the string, the big, big, almost swing, big swing band. And people are like, whoa, whoa, what is that? That's not, that's yes. not, our, that's not rape. That's not what, what are you doing? Exactly. Yeah. Like, they, well, what, that's, that, there's no banjos on that. Where's yeah. the fiddle? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's like, no, there, there's fit, fiddles plural on that. Exactly. Yeah. We have strings. We, it's, strings, this yeah. is a movement. And, and, and so I get it. I'm not. And and I have a buddy that plays. We have a buddy that plays with Florida Georgia Line. Well, not now because they're they've kind of disbanded. But uh, now he's out with uh, Tyler Hubbard. I think Tyler, yeah, yeah, Hubbard, playing with Tyler. Half of Florida. You know, if, you, if you held a gun to my head, I probably couldn't name a Tyler Hubbard song right now. But I don't. Again, I don't. I don't think he much. has one yet. I don't think he's. Oh, okay, thank God, thank God, because I thought I was that far out of touch. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't I think that far out of touch with country radio. I think it's. I think it's happening. I think he's going to release okay. music, but I don't think it's hap. Or maybe it just did, or shit. Yeah, I don't know. Who don't cares? Know. It doesn't matter, right? I don't care. I, I haven't listened for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This I is. Mean, not- I, have, I haven't listened to country radio for a while. I I, uh, I spend my day on this cattle ranch, and, and and I take care of cows, and I do my office work, and if I have time, I might pick up a guitar and, and practice. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't listen to a lot. Of- yeah, I don't. I don't really listen to. I listen to um, my like. I have a, a playlist of, of uh, either on Spotify or or whatever Pandora or whatever it is, and 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 it's all stuff. And and it ranges from rock and roll. You know, I got Metallica and ACDC in there and all this other stuff. But it's. I don't listen to country radio very much. I'm a huge Cody Johnson fan. I oh, think, me too. Dude. I think Cody Johnson is the savior of country music right now. Right now, he, uh, he you know, yeah. and, and and we took AJ and I had this conversation. We we do a lot of top ten lists. Uh, AJ and I do, <laughs> and we're like, okay, new artists, who you like, who we, you know, where's country music, whatever, this whole thing, and and uh, we both agree, um, but on a lot of things, but some things we don't. Um, but I tell you, who is who? Whose songs are really good? Um, most mostly, and and I think Luke Combs. Um, I love Luke Combs. Now, I got a buddy playing bass for him right now. He used to be in my band for a little while. Yeah, so I, I have a yeah. the piano player Corey. He's he's a good friend of mine. Was out with Craig Morgan for a long time, and he got the Luke Combs gig. But uh, it, it's it's weird because Luke isn't traditional country, but he no. writes sort of tra- not traditional. And I'm not talking when I say traditional country. I'm not talking about Hank Williams and 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 Lefty and all those guys. I'm t- talking about traditional meaning. There's a great story, you know. Yeah. Country country music that's, is a story. That's what country music is. Right. It's great stories set to great melodies. Right. And so he yeah. writes those kind of stories. And he, now he plays has a rock feel in his stuff, which is fine. That that's not a big deal. Um. But if you listen to the words, man, great songs, great songwriter. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a few guys out there that, to me, I'm like, that's country music. I, I'll buy that. I will buy that exactly. as country music. Some of these other guys, um, the Walker Hayes, 
you know, fancy like Applebee's, whatever, whatever <laughs> yeah. that thing is. Imagine that 30 years from now. You yeah. think that's going to hold up 30 <laughs> years from now? <laughs> Man, that's some, that's come some, geez, that's I, I love it when they used to write songs about restaurants. Yeah, yeah come on. Uh, come ri- on it's riveting. It's riveting material. Yeah. But, you know, so, yeah, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm turning into my dad because my, my son, he's 26, my daughter's 21, so they love traditional country music. They love Merle Haggard. They go. love there George Jones. They love Ronnie Millsap. They love John Conley. They love uh, Gene Watson. They love those people. I would take them to those shows. And yeah, this yeah. is country music, you know. And then we'd go see Garth. That's country music. We'd go see George Strait. That's country music. We, you know what I mean? So yeah. they have a huge range. But they like Florida Georgia Line. They like Luke Combs. Love Cody Johnson. They love those guys. They and and. He 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 played me some red dirt band that he likes, and I'm just like, man, I I gotta tell you, I can't I can't I can't do some of it. Some of it's really good. So, some know. of it I can handle. Yeah. Most of it not really. Uh, and I, being from Oklahoma, that's huge here. Yeah, the whole absolutely. red dirt thing is. Uh, I got a cousin that plays for Jason Bowen and the Stragglers. Yeah, and I've been to their shows, and 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 I, that, some of the stuff I really like. I, I love the. If I had to. If I had to say the thing about Red Dirt that I do like is the fact that they're unbridled. They refuse to put any limits on themselves. They'll sing or write about anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jason Bowman's got a song about cockfighting. Yeah. I ain't lying, dude. He's got a song about a rooster, a cockfighting rooster, and it's a great song. Yep. It's on one of his previous albums, and and I'm I'm having trouble coming up with the name of it right now. But I, I love the song. Yeah, and it's a great story, like we were talking about earlier, story songs. But you couldn't get that played on country radio in a hundred years. No, and, no, no, and and but like I said, so I, there's some of it that I like, some of it that. But he he was like, Dad, listen to this artist. I don't, I don't, I don't remember who it was. Uh, and to me, I'm like, it has to start melodically. It has it has to start melodically. Exactly for yeah. me. You know, I'm for, not for most men. I think I think men listen to melodies and women listen to lyrics. I'm not. I'm not a a player you know i hold my guitar my guitar holds my fat it it hides my fat gut that's what my guitar does you know know, so 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 when i'm up there playing sure i can play rhythm guitar and it's basic rhythm stuff i'm not i'm not gonna you're not gonna hear me play anything cool um but it's like the the melodic structure of the song has to be has to flow and, and work right for me then lyrically then I go, what's that story? Can I can I buy that song? Meaning, yeah, that, where does it connect with me on any kind of connection, any level, emotionally, whatever, spiritually, whatever? Where can I connect? How can I connect with that song? And if I can't, then I just it's like mm, next, I can't do it, you know. Um, and and then it then it comes to the singing part of it because I, I do pride myself on being a decent singer. Yes, yes, but. But and, and I'm not saying I'm great, and I'm not saying that my, my pitch is perfect or anything like that. But dear God, even in the studio, these they can't help these poor people. Some of them know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think I, I was having this discussion, the same thing you just you're talking about with a songwriter buddy of mine the other day who who loves people like Bob Dylan and John Prine and and these great songwriters who yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't call them great singers. But they are, but I've great storytellers, great storytellers. I said, I'm going to be honest. 
I missed out on a lot of that music just because I couldn't get past how bad the vocal is, Dude. how incredibly horrible the singing <laughs> is. I could not get past it. I couldn't listen to the song. So I, I think maybe that's that's my problem. Yeah. Fortunately, there's a whole group of audience. There's a whole audience out there that that can Love listen it. past that. Yeah. You know, and, and can hear past the bad singing yeah. to hear the lyrics. But I I couldn't do it myself. And, yeah, and that's just me as a singer. I'm the same way. And 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 again, how bad are some of the demos you would get? On some of these, oh, and and some of the yeah. writers listen. And I'm not okay. I'm not going to name any names of writers, but some songwriters are songwriters for a reason. Oh, because yes. they cannot oh, yes. sing their way out of a bag. No, Meaning they, they they're awful. And, and it's awful. But somehow they manage to get their point through. And those writers seem to be the ones that want to sing their own demos too. You ever oh, notice that? Man, those are the writers, those ones that cannot sing their way out of a wet paper bag want to sing their own demos. Yeah, and, and so they'll send you a demo and you got to try to find a melody in those incredibly off-key notes that they're singing. And it's you got to so pick bad. out the melody as a it's, singer. You know? It's so bad. And you're like, I can't even get to the song. I don't even know what you're singing about, dude, because it's terrible. <laughs> but like, but then you have the Jeffrey Steeles of the world and those guys who go in. Sing their asses off, and, yeah. yeah, and they go in and they sing a demo, and you're just like, well, shit, what am I going to do with that song? Yeah, Neil Thrasher. Have you ever heard of Neil Thrasher demo? Uh, abso- absolutely. That guy sings his tail end off. Yeah. And I, I'm embarrassed that he's not a superstar. And he should, he's singing for Lone Star right now. He's out on the road with Lone Star. Right, as right. The, as a lead singer. And my God, he sings his ass off. And I was like, <laughs> And he's making, you know, he's made his most of his careers, most of the money he's made in his career. He's right. had record deals, but most of the money he's made in his career, ninety nine percent of it has been from writing great songs. Absolutely, and yeah. and but you have those guys who can really like Jeffrey Steele, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah. boy howdy, you know, came out with Jesus, yeah. that was amazing, and then and then he wrote how many number ones in a row for everybody under the sun for about exactly. twenty years, and then <laughs> and then but he did his own demos. And and yeah. he would get so many cuts, A, because he could sing, B, yeah. he would actually put a little demo together. And it wasn't yeah. just him and a guitar or a, a piano and a guitar. He would do a little demo, like a little like a pretty polished up demo, and mm-hmm. send it to people and go, what do you think of that? The artist didn't have to think. We didn't have to go, hey, I get it. We didn't have to, we were just like, hell yeah, that's a good song. Put that one on hold. Put that one on hold. Well, and, and the thing about Jeffrey is that after he started having hits as a writer, it was good for him to sing his own demos. Cause when they heard that voice, even if they hadn't had a chance to look at the lyric sheet yet and saw that it was a Jeffrey Steele song, they heard that voice. They knew it was Jeffrey Steele song. Absolutely. And so that was like 10 points extra. Oh, that's Jeffrey Steele. He's written a bunch of hits. I better, we better listen. Close listen. Yeah, yeah. We need, yeah. We need to pull that one and make sure we got that one on our, our list. Mm-hmm. No. So yeah, I think we have the same or close to the same opinion on as far as how, songs uh, we approach songs or material and things like that you know uh, but uh no so okay i know we kind of got off a little bit there on the on that on that part of it so <laughs> third this third album right around the 2000 that early 2000s mark you know mm-hmm. um and and uh what you leave what you leave behind Yes, what you leave behind. Yeah, what you uh, leave behind. That was what it was. That called. was I, that was the title cut of the song of the of the album. I I wrote that song actually with uh, Neil Thrasher and Michael Delaney. Uh huh. And so by that time, I had made enough of a stink about none of us getting any songs on the album. That three of us, me and Greg and Eddie Kay, all got songs on on that album. I got the title cut of the album, "What You Leave Behind." So now, Tate, when you when you get the title cut, what's the first thing in your mind? You're thinking. 
I'm going to have a single. Yeah. I'm going to get a single on this damn song. Yeah. Never happened. It's first time in country music, as far as I know, that the title cut of the album was never freaking singled. Never. (laughs) So Sony, you know, Sony gave me that last kick in the pants. And that last you know, finger to you, Heath, right? And here's here's your here's your uh, walking beyond. <laughs> yeah, I think they released that album simply because they were contractually obligated to do so. Mm-hmm. We had a three album, a, a minimum three album deal with those guys, and then an option for a fourth album. They had to release a, a third album on us, and they've put no promotion budget behind it. Right, I can't even tell you how many singles we we released before they even released the album, but singles that just failed, you know, made it into the late thirties, like 37, 38, 39. Right, right. And then that just died, you know, yep. it barely made it into the top 40. Right. Our, yeah. There's a song that we recorded and I love the song song that my friend Billy Yates wrote called uh, honky tonk baby, kind of a Bakersfield kind of a thing sounded like a Buck Owens song. And I, I'm a big fan of that, that Bakersfield sound. Right. But I guess it was just too weird for country radio to wrap their heads around ricochet singing something like that. And, and you guys can go out and look it up on YouTube. There might be a, a video of it out there somewhere, but I, I, I love the song had a real simple, uh, Don rich kind of a guitar solo on it, you know, yeah. uh, but died in, in the fifties. And at that point they were done with us. They yeah. were done with us at that point when, when they couldn't get a song out of the fifties, we were done with them too. We actually had, we had a, a promotions guy come out on the road, or meet us out on at a concert or something just, just to kind of for old time's sake, right at the, at the end of our, our career, he, uh, we played him a, a song that was one of our previous singles. I think the song was called uh, can't stop thinking about that. And he listened to it. Now this is a promotions guy. His job is to promote singles to radio. Right. He listened to that song and he said, wow, that's a great song. That should have been a single. And I wanted to punch him in the throat. I said, you dumb son of a bitch. That was a single. It was your job to promote it. <laughs> yes. It was a, it was our next to last single. You know, you don't even recognize the damn song because you never promoted it. You know, well, that, and, and, the, and, and, and it probably wasn't even his fault. You know what I'm no, saying? It wasn't his fault. It's it wasn't his fault. That's, and, and uh, you know, it, it was the label that just they, a label that was, had already washed their hands of us. Yep. And they were done with us. But rarely does anyone from the record label, unless you're playing in Nashville, unless you're in town, true, they don't come see you. No, they don't. No, so, that always boggled my mind that they wouldn't take our advice on what single to release next because we're the ones out there doing the beta test every single night. We're the ones playing these songs before a live audience. We know which ones are getting reactions. Yeah. Why don't they listen to us on what the next single should be? And, you know, but they don't. They don't. And 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 it's it's weird because. When I was in Nashville, when I was playing, we would have some label out. Label yeah. people would come out, do that kind of thing, and then they would watch a little bit, and they would leave well before you were done, you know, um, which is fine, but at least they saw part of the show. They saw something. Then you would get the feedback the next day from management or some man, the label loved it, dude. They You killed it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um. And it's like, okay, yeah, we do that everywhere we go. You know, we and you and you learn to read the audience. You learn to know which songs are are, are killing it and which songs are just being polite or you know, whatever. You know, you know yeah. what what. And it still boggles my mind that they won't listen to you as as far as what's the next single should should be. You know. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, make sure 
you guys check out all the social media platforms that we have. And this is part one. This is going to be part one yes. of two series, a part one of two uh, on this one with Heath Wright and of Ricochet. Anyway, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around and listening. And as always, leave us a uh, five-star rating and a review. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Peace. Ain't this a sweet life? Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Want to ask a question for a future episode? Well, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter with hashtag Sweet Life Podcast. And be sure to give us a five-star rating and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest news and information for the Sweet Life Podcast. And we'll see you next time.